Are you a kingdom-minded real estate investor? Do you see real estate as an incredible vehicle to advance the flourishing of the kingdom and mission of Christ? If so, we welcome you to the Kingdom Real Estate Investors Podcast, the podcast to spotlight and share the stories of real estate investors just like you who are advancing the kingdom of God and using real estate as the vehicle. Let's get into the show. Kingdom Real Estate Investors, if you have not gone to oneconnectionaway.com, then you don't know that we have been promoting and just finished a live 90-minute webinar where I shared the exact strategies and secrets that have helped me go from college pastor to full-time real estate investor and purchase more than $100 million of multifamily real estate. But not only me, I also shared the secrets and strategies of those inside of our Kingdom REI Mastermind that have helped them become CEOs to attain financial freedom, to actually leverage a business for kingdom advancement. We've gotten incredible, incredible reviews, and so we're going to do an encore coming up very soon that I want to invite you to attend. If you have not already attended this, go to oneconnectionaway.com. That's oneconnectionaway.com to grab your seat for our next live webinar so that you can learn exactly what we have to quit your job and begin to live life on your own terms through commercial real estate. oneconnectionaway.com. Let's get into the episode. Zach, welcome to the show, man. What's up, Alice? What's up, Cameron? Thank you guys so much for having me on. Really appreciate it. Yeah, Cameron, uh, Zach, sorry, so many things to do that. Listen, do you remember, man? Like, you know, I, this is the best way I can ex- I can explain this to people listening. So, I have a buddy who I used to work out with, and we used to work out every single day together, and. Um, and, you know, he, I, clearly I'm not a small guy, but, you know, we stopped working out and he kind of went and did his own thing. And next thing you know, this guy's like a model. I mean, he's a fitness <laughs> model. I mean, he's everywhere. Like he's, he's, he just got interviewed on The Bachelor, okay, or The Bachelorette. And clearly <laughs> no one's, no one's calling me to get interviewed on The Bachelorette. <laughs> That's funny. Well, I, I must have an effect on people that whenever we hang out long enough, they go doing great things. Because next thing you know, Zach you know, we, we were, you were, you know, working at a, a senior care facility. It wasn't that long ago. And now this dude is Mr. Phoenix. I mean, it is unbelievable, man, the growth that you guys have had in Phoenix, the amount of transactions and multifamily. It, it was all after that intro call, Ellis. After that intro call, things just took off. I can't explain it, man. It I, I take complete credit. <laughs> all you. I'm pretty sure we have like tons of royalties we owe you. Like, yeah, you it's something, you're going to lay off me because it's coming, so, okay? Zach, give, give our audience, dude, and I'm sure we've read your bio <laughs> at this point, but um, just a little bit about what you guys have been up to at Rise 48. You know, you're the CEO of that, but, but what is Rise 48 and what are you guys doing? And, and even just talk about some of the success you've, you've experienced recently. Yeah, no, no, thanks, Alice. Thanks, Kevin. Really appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, we're, we are, you know, value add multifamily operators here in Phoenix. So we're only focused on the Phoenix Metro multifamily. So, you know, we're focused on 100 plus unit apartment buildings, buying them, renovating them, in, increasing the, the revenue, and then, you know, selling them um, to achieve returns for our investor base. And so, you know, since we started, um, I think we've acquired about 24 properties worth over 750 million, you know, over 3,500 units across five different cities in the Phoenix Metro. And, you know, we've been very blessed to be able to scale and kind of keep the momentum going. So on the equity company, we have, including the three um, co-founders, Bikron, Robert, and myself, uh, we have 20 full-time salaried 
um, you know, full-time employees on the equity company, just focused on asset management, investor relations, accounting, et cetera. And then um, we also now are completely vertically integrated with our own property management company, Rise 48 Community. So we have about 69 or 70 full-time employees on full benefits on the management company, which has been, you know, really cool to give us more efficiencies and control where, you know, all the staff on the assets is our staff. So all the, the managers, leasing associates, maintenance, and we don't do any third-party management. You know, we only control our own assets. So that kind of gives you an idea. You know, we've just been focused on this market, value add multifamily and um, been doing that. Wow. Incredible, man. Gosh, the the Ellis effect is serious. Cameron, I, you need to hang around me more. Clearly, <laughs> Ellis, I know. I guess my time with you. I'm going to stop taking credit because I have no credit to take from what Zach has accomplished. It is absolutely amazing, dude. I'm so, and I hope you take this right. Like, I'm proud, man, of you. I'm proud to see another brother in the Lord really no, accomplishing master. I really appreciate it. And having no, you. Thank you. We've been blessed for sure. So awesome, dude. Let me just do this, man. Let me pray for us as we always do in this show. And then I want to kick off with some good questions here. Um, so Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for Zach. Thank you for uh, just the the mission, vision, blessing you've given to him and being able to um, see what he's created there in Phoenix. I pray that, that this conversation would be a blessing to those who are listening to see what's possible to really uh, have a vision and go after it and know, Lord, that you're with us in all things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Yeah. What has, what would you say has been a turning point for you, right? From, hey, I'm trying to do some syndications. I'm in a competitive market, trying to figure out how to do this to like a deal a month. Like I get a freaking deal email from you guys once a month. Like what has been, a, yeah. go back and tell me a turning point. It's a good question. Alex. I mean, there's so many things that go into it and, and, and there's so many people involved, right? There's so many, you know, people who are constantly busting their butt, you know, working really hard, Bikron, Robert, myself. And now we have so many staff members that just work so hard, but, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, we had, we had bought our first few deals, you know, it was still tough. And I think, you know, after we sold that first deal, I would say, you know, that gave us personally gave us a lot of liquidity so that we could go out there and, you know, redeploy earnest money. Um, but I think it also gave us that first proof of concept, you know, where we can go to investors and show like, Hey, you know, look at this 36 unit uh, property that we bought over a 20 month, 21 month time period, we were able to execute our plan and achieve, you know, X returns. And I think that helped a lot for attracting new investors. And, and as we're getting new investors, they're coming in, you know, we're doing monthly distributions, the properties are performing, and Bikron does all the reporting in his team, and they do a, a great job, you know, institutional level reporting. And it's just been crazy in the last Honestly, even in the last six months, as we've started to sell more deals, we've sold five deals total. We have five more coming out to sell. Um, and as we've been selling these deals, we're just getting uh, a significant number of referrals, right? From investors who are happy, they're referring their friends, family, colleagues. Um, and so it's, it's kind of exponentially taken off. So, you know, we didn't make any money the first two and a half years doing this. And it was a real grind. You go through all the adversity and we, we didn't start making money until last year, you know, 2021, when we had enough revenue at the company level to support any type of payroll. You know, we just got our, as we record this right now, it's, it's, you know, February 2nd, 2022, as of March, 2021, we didn't even have any employees. We hired our first employee in March, you know, so it's been like 11 months and now all of a sudden we have 90 employees, but I think, you know, because we were able to, to build out the foundation, we were investing all our money back in the company. And now that we have revenue coming in, we can support infrastructure payroll so that we can scale responsibly, um, res responsibly, 
You know, it's, it's been a number of things and, and we're always trying to focus on, you know, what can we do to improve? Because you don't want to be the guy that's just always trying to go out there and buy stuff. And it may look like that on the outside, right? These guys are overpaying, buying everything, but we're cranking so much volume on the acquisitions front. And we've hired so many people and spend probably at least 60 to 75% of our time during the week focused on operations and, and, you know, Bickard and I are constantly in asset management meetings. And so it's just a combination of all these different people coming together um, to keep it growing and keep everything going well. But I think, you know, the, the turning point to answer your question, Ellis, is when you start selling these properties because you start to prove out the concept and we've learned, you know, through that, by that time we've, we've gained some experience on executing the plans and all the challenges. And then you start to get a blueprint down, right. Where you can start to rinse and repeat and you really start to then, firsthand you experience the economies of scale that everybody talks about, right? And, and the benefits of that. So did you ever have a vision, man, for leading a company of 70? Like, was that your vision to be the CEO of a larger company like this? Tell me, tell me kind of the, what you had dreamed about when you kind of got into this space and you were doing that first multifamily deal. Good. Yeah. Good. That's a good question. So when we, when we first started, no, that was not my vision. You know what I mean? And, and I've always kind of had like abstract visions of wanting to you know, be a leader of a big team. And it's not, it's not because of the ego of the title or anything like that. It's, it's really because I liked, I always liked being part of teams, right? Like I played high school football, I played division two football. And so I always liked being part of a team and even in healthcare, you know, I was part of a marketing team and it's always cool to be, you know, competing against each other, but for the team. And so it's kind of funny, like I quit the job in January, 2018, lived off savings for well over a year about, 18 to 20 months after that, um, you know, we had purchased about four deals. Okay. So we had, it was almost two years from when I initially quit the job, we had like $35 million worth of deals, right? I wasn't making any money, you know, because all the cash flow is going to investors. So I'm broke. I put all my money in the deals. I ran out of money and we, we couldn't find deals. So I was like, I have nothing to do. I'm going crazy every day. You can only get on so many asset management phone calls before you're just bothering everybody, let them do their job. So I went back into hospice and I went back into the industry in the fall of 2019. I remember this call, dude. I remember this call. Yeah. yeah. I I was broke. I had a non-compete with my previous company that had ended. Somebody reached out to me. So I went and I became the president and co-owner of this other hospice company while we still had the real estate portfolio. Because I was like, honestly, I have so much time. There's no reason I can't do this. So I had you know, a healthy six figure salary. Again, that really relieved me from the pressure. But my point in saying all that is when I, when I became the president of that company, we had about 60 to 70 employees. And here I am at that time. I mean, I'm 30 now. I was like 28 at the time. And I'm like thrust into the president of 60 to 70 employees that are already at an existing company. And I'm probably younger than every single one of them. And that gave me a lot of experience, honestly. I, w- I was only there for 18 months, by the way. I worked there for 18 months. Then we got so busy at Rise 48. Bikron, Robert, and I were having four or five-hour phone calls every single night, staying up till midnight, going over our stuff. And I got to the point where I was like, okay, we focus back on real estate. Now I'm going to quit again. And that's what I did. But you know, over those 18 months, we grew that hospice company significantly to 110 employees, Okay. So I, I, it really was valuable for me to get that experience of kind of being the figurehead, so to speak, and, and understanding how to represent myself professionally, knowing everybody's looking at you when you walk in the office and you're having you know, big all staff meetings. And I think that kind of primed me well for the growth that we saw in 2021. Cause I, I quit that job February of 2021. So 12 months ago, exactly. was my last month 
after that, we had explosive growth in 2021. Okay. And that's where we kind of took off. We bought 16 deals last year, 560 million. So we spent the first few years not doing a whole lot. And then we hit this switch, you know, and I call it a switch because in hindsight, it's what it looks like, but we just were able to stay focused. We got an office lease here for the real estate company. So we're every day we started hiring employees and as we started getting busier and busier, we wanted to be proactively hiring people like 90 to 120 days in advance we don't want to ever get to the point where the staff that we have gets burnt out or they feel like overworked and we're not being efficient. So we keep trying to hire ahead of time. So anyways, that was kind of the natural progression. And I think that was good to give me that experience so that now we can, you know, build out a big staff. And, and on the property management company, frankly, we hired, we hired a president, vice president, senior regional directors who are very experienced in property management. You know, Bikran, Robert, and I are not property management experts. We never wanted to be. And we had, ne we never initially planned, but it, you know, it, it became necessary and actually gave us an advantage operationally. And so we've hired executive leadership staff, paying them all six figure salaries to run that management company. Wow. So we can focus on the equity company. So it's not like I'm out there managing 90 people, you know, the majority of those people are on-site staff that are being managed by regionals who are then being managed by executive leadership team at the property management company who then report to Bikran, Robert and I. So uh, we've been able to build out, you know, kind of a corporate structure, but still maintain the private autonomous type of type of culture. I got this from John Maxwell, the three laws of leadership, right? Where he says, and he's right, where, you know, the cap of the organization is really to the, the lid of the leader. And so he talks about the belief lid, like what we believe we can do as a leader. And, and only those, you know, the, your organization can only grow to what you believe you can accomplish. Same thing with leadership, same thing with organizational yeah. skills. Where do you excel at? Like, where were you, where were you strong and where do you feel like in order to catch up or keep up with your organization, you've had to increase your lids and how are you doing that? Because what you're, I mean, like you said, I mean, it is, it's been fast and in some ways it's like, wow, all of a sudden you're leading, you are the CEO of a 90 person organization. Where has that been like fit? Like, man, I just thrive because this is who I've always been and where, what are the lids that you've had to really work on and how are you working on those? I mean, to answer your first part, I think that, you know, one thing that I can, I, I do a fairly decent job at is, is trying to see, like, I try to always be talking to everybody and kind of see, you know, where are we not doing as well as we can, you know, where can we improve or where is the potential pitfall coming up and how can we address that now? Vikram and I, when we're, you know, running operations, for example, you know, we don't ever want to be penny pinchers, so to speak, right? We're going to pay better compensation, better benefits to get the right person. And we want them to be fully autonomous. We don't want to have to micromanage them, but we'll have, have that oversight. So I think, you know, one thing that we've done a good job at is building out the infrastructure in advance. You know, for example, last week we hired three more people. We hired somebody in investor relations. We hired a financial analyst to help with our accounting team. And then we hired a transactions guy and all three of those departments, the people that we have there are fine right now. Okay. They're doing, they're doing a good job, but we have these goals for 2022, you know, which are to build even bigger than we did last year. And we know it's going to take at least three to four months to first put out the ad, interview the people. And, 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 we, and we, we just hired them last week, which was the end of January. And we put those ads out like last week of December, first week of January. So we were interviewing all of January and we finally picked the people and hired them. And now we know it's going to take, you know, at least two, three months to get them trained and onboarded so they feel comfortable. So they're not being thrown at the fire. Right. Um, and then we know, you know, we're going to have a lot, a lot of deals closing around April, May, and they'll be, you know, hopefully up to speed. And so we're trying to think ahead and yeah. continue to build that out ahead of time. And, 
you know, we said we had a meeting two weeks ago with our director of asset management and we did her her review and we were just like hey you're doing a great job but here's what we can improve is like you're getting too in the weeds on everything and you're doing a great job but in order for us all to advance there has to be more delegation so we need another one of you and so we're going to so we're going to build out this staff even more you know what i mean so those are the kind of things i think that you know we we've done a good job at you know as, as far as the, the lid and things like that um, i think for us to continue growing you know we have to you can't always just keep doing what you've been doing for example we've bought primarily 1980s 1970s product the last few years and what we're seeing now is as you know this as well as anybody else in phoenix especially but across the country prices get more and more expensive right the basis keeps going up and Bitcoin and I were just talking like we can't, you know, we it doesn't make sense for us to be buying 70s product, you know, that has with a chiller at this high basis. And so going forward, we want to be focusing primarily on large 80s assets, you know, 200 plus units. And then even we're going to start looking at 90s and early 2000s products. So I'm, I mean, I'm touring a couple 90s deals here in the next week with two different brokers that have value add. And so we're going to start to adapt to the market and pivot. And I think you always have to do that in any business, right? It's easy to keep doing what you've been doing. But when we're looking, especially at real estate with a changing economy, you know, you have inflation soaring. Fortunately, real estate's doing really well um, in part because of that. But we're, you know, we're trying to always see, okay, how can we adapt to the market? You know, what's coming up next and start. And, and honestly, part of starting this property management company, that was part of kind of increasing that lid that you, that you speak of, Ellis, because Last year, going into 2021, we had no plans to start a property management company, right? We, we had said maybe down the road, maybe we will, but it's honestly, if we can use third party, that's great. We had a third party manager company that was doing a great job the last couple of years. What started happening around summertime of 2021 was because of these unemployment checks, there's a depleted labor pool, right? So there's been a ton, there's a ton of turnover and, and they couldn't find the right people. We had four different properties over a five month time period, we had our on-site managers turn over and leave somewhere else for more money. And the third party company, they just couldn't find people. So, you know, fortunately our asset management team was micromanaging the assets and it didn't negatively impact the, the, the asset or the performance, but then it's taking away bandwidth from our asset management team, right? There's always a ripple effect. And because of these third party management companies, business model, their fee structure, they have very thin profit margins, right? If you want to make money, do not start a third-party management yeah, company. Yeah. Right? <laughs> make money, um, and so they cannot compete and offer more more compensation, more benefits. So the the primary reason we started the property management company is we said, okay, we are going to offer the best compensation and the best healthcare benefits in the industry, so that we can not only recruit the best people but retain the best people. So we stop having so much turnover, and so that's what we did. So we're we're offering the best compensation. And we've talked to a bunch of these, you know, big institutional, even property management companies like Graystar, for example, and we're offering, we're blowing all their benefits out of the water. So for example, we're covering hundred percent of the employees' healthcare benefits across both companies. So all 90 employees have hundred percent coverage and all of their dependents have 50% coverage, wow. you know, which is far more competitive than anybody else that, that as far as we know. And so our whole thing is like, we don't need to make money on the property management company, right? We just needed to break even because it's to support the real estate company, which is our high profit margin business. And so if, if we can have a really good property management company that makes our assets perform well, that investors are getting good returns, they're happy, okay? And, and, our, and for underwriting perspective, some people have asked like, okay, well, doesn't that make your payroll go up? How do you make these deals pencil? The answer is yes, but we make up for it in other line items. So for example, 
before we were underwriting anywhere between 1150 to 1200 for payroll. Okay. And now we're about 1400. And the difference is, is that on those pro forma budgets from our third-party PM company, they had certain, you know, they had certain line items for turnover costs, maintenance, admin. Well, those were all getting blown. Okay. They were going way over that because we had so much turnover with staff and so many maintenance issues that weren't being, you know, kept close, a close eye on those were not being hit. So we're actually reducing those other line items, becoming more efficient, even though our payroll line item is going up because we have, we have better, you know, better staff, frankly, you know, and more efficiencies. And so that kind of gives you an idea of, of what we've done to try to adapt and start the management company so we can continue to grow. Zach, I mean, listening to your story is so encouraging to me because I'm not going to get into it too much, but it is very, very similar to mine as far as quitting your job, living on savings for a while, not making any money, being broke while something is being built and costing you a lot of money and a lot of time. Yeah. And I'm just stoked to see your success and how you, you know, you've built what you've built. I'm very curious because this is a question I get asked a lot too. Of when I tell my story to people, they're like, well, how are you making money? Yeah. <laughs> Cause you know, you got bills to pay. Yeah. Well, you know, I was prudent and saved a lot and my wife and I live well below our means and are just fine. But one thing I got asked and I experienced and learned, and I think you, you might could shed some insight on too is it doesn't your wife work it with you? She does. Yeah. She's okay. full-time. Company. Awesome. Yeah. So what was the process like taking your spouse through that time of, Hey, I believe in this business. I'm going to build it. By the way, I'm not going to have any income for the next 18 months. Our savings is going to start going down every month. And mm-hmm. I believe in this. Are you on board? I'm sure she said yes, but what was that like, man? Just take me to the dichotomy yeah, of your home life with your wife in that season. Yeah, no, it's a great question, Cameron. And I think it's also relevant to the kind of the overarching theme of this podcast, which is, you know, how it impacted our faith and relationship with God as well. So mm-hmm. at the time, you know, when I, when I quit the job, Grace and I had just been dating for like four or five months. Okay. So we weren't engaged. We were not married. Okay. So we had been dating and, you know, she was fully supportive, but we weren't married necessarily. And, and then, you know, we started growing closer and closer I think through the adversity, because she was huge to help support me emotionally, you know, psychologically. And then after, after the first 12 months or so, she was literally supporting us financially because I was broke. I put all my money in the deals. I, I remember I had about $12,000 of credit card debt. And then, you know, she went and got a W, she had a W2 marketing job and she was covering, you know, our bills. So like, after we bought that first deal, I sold my house, which I had bought in 2015 because I had no money and I needed earnest money to buy a new deal. So I sold the house. I wired all that money non-refundable into a portfolio. <laughs> and, and so then we were renting like a townhome for a year. And then Grace was paying the bills. She was paying the rent from the townhome. <laughs> and oh sounds, my gosh. I think I'm stupid and crazy, but that's what we did. So I was like, I need to unload this house. I need earnest money. So she was covering the bills for that. And it wasn't until I got that second hospice job as the president, I was able to kill my credit card debt. And then I I actually paid off Grace's car because she had been paying all these bills for all this time. And then I basically repaid her. And so, but anyways, through that process, you know, she was extremely supportive. We got engaged through that process. We got engaged in 2019. um, And then we got married after that. Your girlfriend was paying off all these bills? No, she was my fiance when she was paying the bills. Okay, let the record show. Dang, dude, we that's still, man. Still, the bills, that's, that's the bills were being paid by the fiance. All right. <laughs> I did not have a girlfriend paying it. I was still paying it myself, but I was burning through savings to your point, yeah, Cameron. Right. So it's, 
it's a lot of adversity as you, as you guys know, because it's like, you go from making a bunch of money and feeling safe and comfortable to waking up and you're like, okay, what do I do today? Oh, by the way, I just lost more money. You know what I mean? Cause the bills hit and I don't have nothing coming in. Right. So yeah, it, it's tough. I think going through that adversity brought us closer together and it also helped us grow in our faith immensely. And, and grace was a big part of that, you know, um, just because when you're, and, and again, this, this sounds dramatic, you know, it's not like I was like facing depression or was like addicted to like drugs or anything, but you hit like a psychological or emotional rock bottom when you feel like you don't know what to do, you know what I mean? And, and you feel like you don't know what the next step is. And that's when I think you, you turn to, to, you turn to Christ and, and that gives you a lot of faith. And, and through that process, it also hardens you, right. And where it builds a lot of character, you know, now I almost feel like not to be dramatic, but I almost feel like I have a chip on my shoulder. You know what I mean? And it's like, I'm not going to listen to what other people say. And it helps you, helps you overcome other challenges that are, you're going to come across because you went through all that adversity on the front end and you come out successful. Um, and so that, that's kind of what that process was like, you know, emotionally and, and mentally. What I see and hear, and I think it's so important to note, and Cameron, you can continue after this, is that there's no such thing as an overnight success. And I just like, you can see Zach online, which I have, and I'm like, man, you know, it feels like come out of nowhere, right? Especially from the last time I talked to you, but it, it's so good to rehear this. I'm like, dude, you, you put your house into your earnest money, like to go do the deal, you know, like you, you sacrifice payment for two years. I'm like, that's the stuff, man. I think for not as entrepreneurs, people don't see of like, dude, yeah, yeah we're yeah. crushing it now. But that's because I was getting crushed for two years. Right. You know? exactly. And, I, and, and yeah. I remember that same story, man, where I'm laying on the, my carpet, like I'm so screwed. We're out of money in two months. What do I do? You know, and it's the yeah. ability just to have faith and stick in there long enough. I think, you know, I think most I think, I think, I think that is one of the keys to entrepreneurship is just staying alive long enough for things to, to get rolling. Anyway, that, that was actually my philosophy internally, Alice. It was like, I was always like, just stay above water, just barely keep surviving. And my whole philosophy was do not give in to the short-term pain to sacrifice like the long-term upside. That was like my internal thing, right? Always just stay above water. Even if I have credit card debt, cause you believe that you're going to get through it. And so, yeah, you can obviously attest to that too. You know, I believe God often leads us, his people into places we would not normally choose for ourselves to give himself the opportunity to show up. And it's typically at the last moment, just God flexing, but I'm curious too. So, I mean, those feelings are also familiar for me and I'm sure Ellis too. There's a quote I really like. It says, God is in control, but he doesn't expect you to lean on a shovel and pray for a hole. And in my, you know, when I was getting the business going, all that process into where I am now, you know, the biggest thing God showed me was like, God calls us to faithfully work really hard and diligently and to be prudent in all of our decisions. Um, and he will bless that. Maybe not always in the ways we hope, anticipate, or, or really want, but he will indeed. And I'm curious, you, you guys are crushing it right now. And I'm sure sometimes it feels like there's a million more decisions to make and burdens and obstacles to overcome. But I'm just curious what you, the insight that you gained from the Lord, were that real scary, real frustrating, probably real slow time in your life, having the girlfriend, being broke, selling your home, you probably want to sell, taking big risk. Like what, you know, looking back, what is evident that you saw God doing in you and in your life and your faith in him? It's funny you say that too, because I was just thinking of this like a week or two, because 
I mean, even though now on the outside, you know, on LinkedIn and all this, you know, BS social media, it looks like <laughs> we're super successful and just cranking it. I still get scared all the time and get nervous because as you're constantly trying to push it, you're always pushing the comfort zone and there's more responsibility, more stress that comes up. And, you know, there's always conflict. You know what I mean? There's, I could tell a, a bunch of different stories where you have to really get into it or you have tough conversations with lenders or brokers, or you're facing tough, you're in tough positions and no one's going to bail you out. You know, either I do it or, or it doesn't happen. And it's going to impact a lot of other people at the company, you know, my decision and, and my taking the action or not taking the action. And so I think, you know, what I learned through that process is, you know, no matter like what fear or stress you feel, you have to always remember that, you know, you're just, you're just a man or a woman, you're a human competing against other humans. And at the end of the day, everybody is powerless. You know what I mean? God is truly in control. And, and so you can pray to God to give you strength and give you courage. And I do that frequently, you know, to take the burden because at the end of the day, there's like what, seven, 8 billion people. You might think you have problems, but there's seven or 8 billion people that also have problems. And, and your problems may not be as big as, as, as you think they are. And you're very small in the grand scheme. You know what I mean? And so you just have to remember, you know, your God is, is truly in control. And if you're intimidated by another individual or feel pressured or stress, they're just a human. You know what I mean? So you can pray to God to give you strength and courage and go attack. And that's, and that's kind of what I do is like, and because I face a lot of challenges because I'm younger, right? And so people don't take me seriously. So you constantly feel like you have to earn respect from people, whether it's lenders, investors, brokers, whomever, you know what I mean? And so you kind of have to have that mentality where you want to stay humble, but it's like, I kind of feel like, okay, well, if you want to cross me, that's fine. But I, I feel emotionally and mentally battle tested, you know what I mean? And so I can always go back to those times and remember, you know, that if I just do what I'm supposed to do, the rest, rest will take care of itself and God will kind of take, take care of that. So um, that's kind of, you know, what I, what I went through in that time and how we can apply it, you know, now. Great, great perspective. Great perspective. And yeah, I agree. I was 26 years old calling brokers, telling them I want to buy apartment complexes and they, they'd let me buy them dinner. I think just to let me buy him dinner. Oh yeah. Get a, get a free dinner. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zach, I, I want to ask you a few real estate questions before we let you get out of here, man. This has been a fabulous, freaking fantastic episode, dude. Uh, thanks for, for being of so course, yeah. and sharing, sharing those things. I totally agree with the bigger you get, not like the fears go away because you're only pushing the ball in, in that. I, I, I understand that perspective. What is setting you guys apart as a syndication company, both on the deal side and on the investor side, you know, that, that allows you guys to win deals and allows you to win investors. Maybe speak to both of that. Really what sets you apart yeah. from a, as a syndication company in terms of capital and operations? Yeah, no, great, great question, Alice. So I think one of our big advantage, frankly, is our relationships with the brokers. Okay, so the majority of our acquisitions have been sourced completely off market with no competition from anybody else, you know, directly through these broker relationships. So that allows us to source the deal at a good basis that makes sense, you know, without getting bit up in a competitive environment. And we are cranking the volume. Again, I know on the outside, it's, it probably looks like we're just buying, you know, everything. We, we lose at least 90, 95% of the deals we go after. And I'm touring multiple deals a week. Ikron is constantly underwriting multiple deals a week. And then our asset management team, Kaylee and Leslie, they're constantly shopping comps for these properties so we can make offers. So we're cranking the volume. We lose most of the deals, like I said. I mean, just in the past few weeks, we've submitted at least 12, 15 offers. You know, every single week we're submitting offers and, and we're always staying in front of brokers. So that gives us a big advantage. And frankly, 
even the marketed deals that we've won, we typically have some type of unfair advantage. Okay. And what I mean by that is we know the broker really well, or we know the seller and they've kind of told us where to be at the end. And it doesn't happen every time, um, but you can always get different advantages. And, you know, we, what we do on the debt brokerage side, meaning like, like let's say you have a broker who works for ABC brokerage on the investment sales side. Well, we always try to align with whoever the debt guy is on his team. Okay, because they have incentives. If, if you use the debt guy, the debt guy typically has to share part of his commission with the investment sales team. It's just how the industry goes. And we've had the debt guy tell us, hey, I heard offers came in. I think if you're around here, you can win it. And if it pencils in our model, then we've won deals that way too. So we, we kind of view ourselves as like the local scrappy underdog guys. Okay, because in Phoenix, you know, it's such a competitive market. The, the, the majority of our competition is private equity institutional capital, life insurance companies, and pension funds, you know, so if you look at like a co-star report, like top buyers the last couple of years, you know, we're top 10, we're literally right there next to, you know, Blackstone, Goldman Sachs, life insurance companies. And the difference is the brokers know if I go out and tour a deal and make an offer, they're talking to the decision maker and we're not going to retrade them. We're going to do it with these other big companies. They might be massive international companies, but they're talking to an acquisitions employee. And no matter what that guy says, ultimately the equity decision maker has to fly out and see the deal and they can always blow it up. So with us, we jump on deals very quickly. You send us a deal within 24, 48 hours, we'll fully shop all the comps, underwrite the entire deal, get you in an offer going non-refundable day one. Okay. And, and, we, and we'll feel confident we can perform. And that's another part of it too, Ellis, is our terms. You know, Bikran, Robert and I, we front our own personal cash for earnest money, and we can be much more aggressive than these big institutional companies that have, you know, corporate stakeholders. For example, you know, we've gone, we've gone a million bucks non-refundable day one with no inspections on several deals now, and we now release it to the seller. So like, that means I sign the PSA, we wire a million bucks to escrow, escrow releases the million to the seller to go do whatever they want with it. And then once we close, it gets credited back. And we can do that because it's our own personal cash. And we've built in a, a very heavy CapEx contingency budget into our model, assuming all the roofs are shot, plumbing is shot, electrical is shot, and that we can replace all of that in a doomsday scenario if we needed to, so that we feel confident going non-refundable before inspections. And we've won several deals just because of that alone. 95 to 100% of the time after we go through our inspections, we're trimming back that CapEx budget because it wasn't as bad um, as we had assumed in there. But we're winning deals by, you know, sourcing with brokers, acting quickly um, with our terms. And then operationally, like you asked, Ellis, I think the fact that we're local and we have a full asset management team um, in place is, is huge. Okay. So, you know, we have, we have like what, over 3,100 units right now. We've sold some deals. We can get to any of our properties within 20 to 30 minutes. Okay. So our staff is literally touching every single property multiple times a week. And I'm not talking about the property management company because they're obviously always on site which is our staff, but I'm talking about the asset management team is always on site. In addition to doing property management in-house, we also do all of our own construction management in-house, which is probably even more important. If somebody's listening and you don't have a portfolio, portfolio big enough to support your own property management company, the, the big differenti differentiating factor is to take all the construction management in-house. And what do I mean by that? It doesn't mean you have to employ the skilled labor, but it means you have to have some employees for example, you know, our director of asset management, Kaylee, our construction manager, John, and their respective staffs that they have beneath them that we've hired, you know, we personally source, bid out, 
and manage all of our own vendors. So all of the roofers, plumbers, electricians, construction crews, we're bidding these guys out and managing them daily on site with our staff. You know, so, so John, our construction manager, for example, he literally spends 40 plus hours a week just walking units that are undergoing renovations, making sure they're staying on schedule and on budget. And then on top of that, in addition, we personally source and purchase all of our own materials directly wholesale through a warehouse. So all of our flooring, countertops, appliances, cabinets, everything, we buy it all directly wholesale. We have it drop shipped to our properties on our schedule. Then we require that all of our construction crews use our materials so that we truly control the supply chain and they can't you know, increase cost on us and blame it on inflation or anything like that. So that's given us a lot of efficiencies um, and control. And we, we did not have any inflation or supply chain issues in all of 2021. And we renovated and leased up and moved in over 280 plus units across the portfolio. Every single unit met or exceeded our projected rent. And we met our construction budget on every single unit. And it's because we're controlling property management, construction management, and then we're controlling the supplies, you know what I mean, the, the material. So that's that's kind of been our distinct advantage where I think we're renovating units faster and to a higher scope than most of our competition, if not all of them in this market. And again, it's not our skilled labor, but we have in 2021, we bid out over 40 different construction companies. We have eight to nine that are solid that we can rely on. Each company has multiple crews. So we feed these guys, you know, somewhat evenly on different assets and they're giving us discounts on, on labor because we're giving them consistent work. You know what I mean? So we have that volume now where we can do that. And then we've been blowing through our renovations so quickly. We're renovating 30 to 50% of a, of a property in the first three to six months. And then we move on to the next property that we just bought. We just took over and move those crews over. So that's kind of gives some insight on what we've been doing. Guys, masterclass today. Uh, I just, again, <laughs> what, what I'm hearing too, for those who are listening, maybe just trying to get started too, is you got to just stay in long enough. I mean, the fact that you have these advantages, you you can never have these advantages when you get started. And so it, it builds, it compounds. Zach, I'm pulling for you, man. Like, honestly, I love hearing your success. I hope literally at 10Xs in 2022. Clearly, man, you know, God has made you prime for this season and uh, you're the right man for a true leader, a true man of God. Love your faith, dude. And really excited to see what you guys accomplish at Rise 48 in 2022, man. Tell our folks where to go. Uh, where I mean, rise48.com, but that's specifically anything there, but also where to follow you. Yeah, no, thanks so much, Austin. Cameron. really appreciate it, man. Yeah, you can go to our website, you know, rise48equity.com. So R-I-S-E 48equity.com. And you can set up a call, you know, through, through Calendly. Um, I know you guys have Calendly links as well. You can email me, Zach at rise48equity.com and always happy to, to chat with anybody. Real quick, what does that mean, Rise48? Oh yeah, good question. So funny story, we were, we were initially Summit Equity. We started buying deals and then we got a cease and desist letter from another Summit Equity that had a federal <laughs> mark. And they said, you better change your name otherwise we're gonna sue you. And we had no choice. And so we, we were trying to think of a name and we liked Rise, but we had to make we had to make it unique somewhat so that we could get a federal trademark and we engaged an attorney, a trademark attorney. And so we, we, we added the 48 because Arizona is the 48th state, like state 48. And it's kind of a thing around here. There's like, like restaurants and stuff. So we just did Rise 48 because we're Arizona based. And so that, that's what allowed us to get the trademark. That's kind of, that's the true story. 
Love uh, it. Ellis knows a thing yeah, or two about that. Yeah. It's also, <laughs> I've also, Kingdom, when we were Kingdom Capitalists, we had to change the name. I got hit with a trademark. Dude, you know, oh, you yeah. learn You learn as you go. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. You, I, you're probably the same way. You didn't know you should yeah. check for a trademark. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? I love this, man. Zach, bro, I'm so pumped for you. Thanks so much for joining us on the Kingdom Alright Podcast. Guys, if you, if you enjoyed this show as much as I did, please go share this. Go share Zach's story. This is what we need. More Kingdom Leaders that are absolutely crushing it in business and and being a and being an influence like 90 people that he gets to minister to uh to take care of providing health insurance for 90 families that's a blessing to the city man that's a blessing to the city uh because because his business is prospering and so uh, help us share this help us share that story by sharing this episode and leaving us a written five-star review thanks everyone we'll see you next week Hey, real estate investors, I hope this show has given you permission to go out into the world and crush it in the name of Jesus. If you want to learn more about our community and locking arms and joining forces with other like-minded investors like yourself, go to thekingdomrei.com to learn more about our mastermind and send an application. We'll see you next week.